0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the TMA's Ask the Expert podcast series. Today's podcast is entitled The Role of Nutrition in Managing Your Health. I'm Sam Hughes from the Conquer Program at UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, and I'll be monitoring today's podcast. The TMA is a nonprofit focused on support, education, and research of rare neuroimmune disorders. You can learn more about the TMA at myelitis.org. This podcast is being recorded and will be made available on the TMA website for download via iTunes. During the call, if you have any additional questions, you can send a message through the chat option available with GoToWebinar. For today's podcast, we are pleased to be joined by Tad Campbell and Christopher Flores. Tad Campbell is a registered dietitian in Dallas, Texas. He's a faculty member in the Department of Clinical Nutrition at UT Southwestern Medical Center. In addition to teaching graduate students, He sees patients in an ALS clinic, the UT Southwestern Nutrition Clinic, and the Total Life Care Clinic at the Clinical Center for Multiple Sclerosis. Christopher Flores is a registered dietitian at Children's Health in Dallas, Texas. He has worked in pediatrics for the last five years. He started working in weight management and now works in the neurology department. His main focus is on the ketogenic diet and the medium chain triglyceride diet. He's also a provider in the Pediatric Conquer Clinic at Children's Health. Welcome and thank you both for joining us today. Now, before we jump into some of the specific questions that were asked by uh, patients and other members of the community, um, I wanted to just kind of give you guys a chance to to give a broad overview of what the current understanding is generally about uh, nutrition and proper nutrition uh, and a healthy diet um, um, kind of from uh, both the adult and the pediatric perspective. So, uh, Tad, I'll just throw it over to you first. And if you want to kind of give us a broad overview of of what our understanding of nutrition is currently, that would be great.
1: Sure. So, well, first, thanks for, for having us today. Um, I think that the maybe the first thing that you should think of when you think of nutrition is uh, and what's, what's the best nutrition is, is really a, a balanced and varied diet. Um, MyPlate is the government uh, program put out by the USDA that uh, was once the four food groups and then the pyramid and now we're at MyPlate but it does a really good uh, a good job of providing a visual example um, of what your plate should look like and you can sort of tell from the proportions on that plate kind of how it should should flow into your real life so for instance you know half a plate being fruits and vegetables Um, keeping a a quarter of the plate for grains and then making half of those whole grains um, and a quarter of the plate for a lean protein uh, and then maybe a serving of dairy or um, a little bit of a healthy fat with that meal. By and large, that is sort of the way we should all be eating. But let's don't forget there are other things like hydration and weight management. Um, Those are pretty important. They're important in general uh, nutrition, but they're also very important In the world of neuromuscular diseases, Um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about those
0: um, here in a bit. Yes, thanks for that kind of broad overview. And Chris, is there any any other uh, anything else you'd like to add or any special considerations from the pediatric point of view in terms of diet nutrition?
2: Yes, Uh, well thank you for having me as well. Uh, So along with Tad, uh, it's pretty much uh, somewhat the same as far as uh, dietary goals for pediatrics, balanced meals, uh, plenty of fruits and vegetables. The main thing that I stress out is uh, we got to start at a young age. It's easier to set good examples and uh, good habits while they're young uh, because once they get older, it's going to be a lot harder to change those uh, habits, those eating habits. So I always stress to my parents is that, you know, always promote a balanced meal, always promote healthy foods, just because their kids don 't give in to all their wants when it comes to uh, sweets or sugar beverages um, that 's all I have to add to that for right now
0: yeah, yeah, uh, I think we all you know we all can take a take a note from the nutrition playbook about our general dietary habits and a lot of the questions that came in um, from patients were in particular about you know their disease process and we're <clears throat> we 're working with patients who have these uh, autoimmune, these inflammatory conditions of the central nervous system, and there's a lot of talk and and controversy about what uh, what uh, what you should or shouldn't eat, what diets you should or shouldn't be on, if you have these disorders or really any any kind of disorder. There's a lot of talk out there, but I think that people are very um, uh confused about what might actually be scientifically valid versus what's just anecdotal what's just talked about and so there are a lot of questions that came in that were uh, more specifically about what what do we take home from this with as people who have some kind of inflammatory process going on that's having uh, uh, an effect on our neurological uh, abilities so um from the nutrition and diet standpoint are there any um, uh, specific recommendations, or even even broad recommendations, uh, for people who have inflammatory uh, processes going on or autoimmune diseases, uh, and how they can or can can or can't affect that via diet? Uh, Tad, can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. There's so what I've
1: what what really we we focus on um, and what we find being questioned a lot in neuromuscular. Disease uh, population is what can I do to to deal with kind of these major things like fatigue and inflammation. Um, so yeah, I can tell you broadly what we can do, and we can dive in as deeply as you want as you'd like for each of those. Um, so if you think weight management, uh, fatigue, and inflammation, those are like the three things that we hear the most about. The three things that we can most affect um, these diseases with with diet, but there are other things to be to uh, to manage as well so if you have comorbidities like diabetes or hypertension or if you've got elevated cholesterol um, those need to be dealt with as well but those things can launch their own uh, inflammatory process so first let's get those under control Um, and second of all the thing that we could all do um, regardless of our, our health is to achieve and maintain a healthy weight you know, in uh, neurology that, well, carrying extra weight alone is inflammatory, but when you have a sort of a debilitating disease that may require that you have a caretaker help you, um, it may require that you have to transfer from a wheelchair to another seat or a toilet, um, that can be difficult. And so the, the closer we are to our healthy weight, then the easier those sort of life experiences become. Um, and how you get there? You get there by following that balanced and varied diet that I mentioned. Um, in addition to that, drinking water, you know, getting plenty of water with neuro uh, neurological diseases. A lot of times, bladders are affected. Um, bowel health is something to be concerned about. And so rather than avoid water, we've got to drink plenty of it. Um, and then one thing that I notice a lot in uh, in regards to fatigue is, you can't skip meals. It's one of those things that seems very basic, like everyone would know that. But when you're the one skipping the meal, you don't really think about it that much. You've just developed the habit that you don't eat breakfast or you don't eat lunch. It's just the way it worked out. And then you find that you're sinking a few hours later and just getting a little slower or uh, um, not quite as, as energetic. Have, have meals throughout the day. you know. And it's, if it's difficult to start eating a meal that you've skipped for years, you can start slow. Start with some fruit have a yogurt, something small, over time, you'll want that food. And you'll likely find that your fatigue has decreased as well. Mm-hmm. And there's also a ton of things we can do, um, foods at least, that we should uh, eat t- to help control inflammation or avoid because we know that they're pro-inflammatory.
0: Yeah. Uh, weight, you get to this point of weight management is is very important for you know general health and these disease processes can can render people immobile many times and which can lead to inactivity and weight gain so as a follow-up question to that um uh is it i think people think oh i need to lose weight so i'm going so i have to exercise but wait i can't you know i can't do a lot of you know aerobic exercises and things to uh, uh, to lose weight, can I really get to a healthy weight just through diet? Uh, is, is that is that a concern that that is valid? So I would argue that probably there are
1: exercises that you can do. Um, even you know there are seated exercises for those who are confined to wheelchairs. Um, pool exercises, walking in the pool, or swimming is great. If you can't swim, walking is fine. Um. But at any rate, do what you can. Any increased movement is good for increasing your calorie needs, which then helps uh, with weight loss. It's also good for um, maintaining any function that you currently have. Stretches are great for that. Um, But yeah, exercise is doable. If you can't exercise for some reason, then, then there are definitely, we all have things we can improve in our diet. So there are improvements that can be made there. Some people may find it difficult to lose weight just through diet. Um, but that's why, I mean, you should see a dietician and get some help with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Chris, from the, from the pediatric side, I know that, you know, kind of globally, uh, at least in the United States, there's a lot of uh, conversation and concern about, you know, the, the uh, increased weight of our children, the obesity epidemic in, in our kids. Um, uh, do you, uh, can you speak maybe a little to the way that that affects kids with these different disorders, uh, with different neurological diseases and, um, uh, uh any concerns from the weight standpoint with children?
2: Yes, of course. Uh, so like Tad said, uh, with increased, uh, body weight or more precisely increased body fat, uh, inflammation, inflammation does go up, um, adipose tissue does, pre- produce inflammatory markers, uh, so that would aggravate uh, the inflammation state. Uh, on the other, And also, on top of that, with excess body weight, not only comes in uh, more inflammation, but the risk for other diseases like diabetes, hypertension, and high cholesterol, which would just add to our current situation uh, that some of the kids are on at the moment. As far as for weight management, it goes uh, along with what Tad said, Exercise is important, and if you can do something, do what you can. Uh, the benefits, of course, are mobility, uh, muscle mass. You will pr- pr- produce more muscle mass, which in turn will help you b- burn more calories. Um, but the main thing is trying to get the kids out the, out of the comfort zone and start to do a little bit of more mobility and watching exactly what they eat, uh, Not just focusing on the sweets or the or the carbs because most of the kids that I see are typically eating diets that are fairly high in carbohydrates, I would say Maybe at least 60% of their diet is probably carbs Um, so I definitely try to focus on reducing the carb amount as well as limiting some of their calories um, while promoting some physical activity Mm -hmm. Yeah uh being, I think a lot of us just
0: really need to be more conscious of what we're eating. I think if you ask most people, myself included, you know, what what did you eat yesterday or, or what is your normal diet, I'm, I wouldn't necessarily be able to tell you everything that I eat all the time. But it's kind of being conscious of what you're eating and why you're eating it. Um, there's a, some questions came in. There's a, a question that came in now uh, live that I think kind of speaks to a lot of the questions that came in. Um, I've been on a gluten-free diet since my diagnosis of NMO in 2015. I try to be as paleo as possible, too. At this time, my symptoms have resolved. Do you recommend this type of diet? Now, I think that there's, you know, especially nowadays, there's a lot of uh, fad diets out there and concern and conversations about gluten and dairy and um, uh, very specific kind of vegan or paleo kind of diets and uh, and anecdotally, you hear patients who uh, say, oh, I did this, I took this out of my diet, or I supplemented with this, and, and I feel a lot better. Um, can you guys speak to either you know, these particular concerns, especially maybe gluten or something along those lines? Uh, and are there any specific dietary recommendations, especially from a, a, a pro or anti-inflammatory diet standpoint? Um, and any any thoughts as to, uh, um, especially if there's any scientific evidence out there about any uh, validity to specific diets or supplementation.
2: Sure, uh, Chris, do you want? uh did you want to start, or do you want me to? Sure,
1: Sorry. I can. Um, yeah, so you mentioned paleo and gluten free and the other other sort of uh, popular diets and. Unfortunately, the, the evidence isn't that strong supporting any of those. However, I would say if you saw an improvement after following a diet, continue to do that. Um, you know, if, it, if it's working for you, then, then keep doing it. If it's not too difficult. However, regarding, I mean, paleo and gluten-free in particular, there are some things that you should probably watch for. You should definitely be taking a multivitamin if you're doing those. Any diet that rules out entire food groups or large parts of food groups. Um, you're likely missing some some nutrients, and particularly gluten-free if you, if because you, cause what a lot of people will do is they'll start their gluten-free um, journey by getting rid of bread from their diet. Well, they may not realize that our bread supply has been fortified for many years with a lot of vitamins and minerals that you're now not getting. And so definitely start a multivitamin. Um, what was the rest of your question? <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, inflammation,
1: what to do with for inflammation with diet?
0: Yeah. Uh, are there any dietary recommendations about yeah. um, anti-inflammatory diets?
1: Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, there's not a lot of diet information in the the scientific literature that's focused specifically on TM. But there are there is some that's focused on neuromuscular diseases in general and the notion of inflammation. And there was actually a really good um, a uh, review put out in American Society for Neurochemistry in January or so of 2015 that talked about diet inflammation. And so what I can give you here, I'll give you now sort of their list of things that, that they'd recommend. and And I think everyone will agree with all of them, but starting with increasing fruits and vegetables. So fruits and vegetables naturally have a lot of antioxidants in them. So that's beneficial. Decreasing your intake of saturated animal fat and If you're thinking of animal fat, what's saturated, it's anything that you could see at room temperature as solid, so like butter or the rind on a steak, that sort of marbling in a steak. Avoiding trans fats. Trans fats are inflammatory. They're being removed from the diet or from the the food supply, but you should consciously look at labels and make sure you're not consuming any of them. Limiting the consumption of red meat. This is a, a recommendation that's pretty much made for everyone. So this is sort of the genesis of Meatless Mondays that people started a while back. Um, avoiding sugar-sweetened drinks. Chris mentioned that about children. And absolutely, if you can start that habit at a young age or prevent that habit, the habit of drinking them from forming at a young age, it makes it much easier to move into adulthood with better habits. Similarly, avoiding hypercaloric meals. So overeating, just the process of getting too many calories at once is inflammatory. Can decrease dietary sodium. Another thing that most all of us should do, and I think most people would be surprised to know that the majority of the sodium we get in our diet doesn't come from a salt shaker; it comes from processed foods and um, ingredients that are in sort of the store-bought convenience items. And then, lastly, avoiding cow's milk. Um, oddly, there's a tiny protein in cow's milk uh, fat that um, I'm sorry, did I say cow's milk? I meant avoiding cow's milk fat um, so drinking skim milk will prevent you from consuming that particular protein and um and help decrease inflammation
2: mm.
0: yeah that's a lot of I think that's a lot of generally good information of uh it's all generally
1: uh, good and and then another thing you can do is sort of that we don't really talk that much about in uh, you don't hear it a lot in in uh, people's discussion of nutrition but lifestyle choices. You know, if you think about sort of what you can control in your health, your health is going to be determined by, um, you know, your environment, your genes, and then your lifestyle. Well, your genes have been set, your environment, depending on your age, may have been set, but your lifestyle choices are your decisions. So whether you drink too much or smoke or do drugs or exercise or not, those are all things that, you know, not drinking, not smoking... Do exercise, these are things that will help decrease inflammation systemically mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, and uh chris from your from your experience working with kids, I know uh, uh your background um, has been working or your in, in, interest and experience with the, the ketogenic diet and uh, knowing how the keto, ketogenic diet can work with uh, uh, children with seizure disorders. Um, do you have anything to add to what Tad was saying about uh, uh, children with neurological disorders uh, specifically inflammatory neurological disorders if you can speak to that um, uh, based on your experience with with different
2: diets Yes definitely so um, just want to add to what Tad said um, as far as for inflammation uh diet diet, diet diets for inflammation. The main things that I've noticed in the articles that I've looked up is calorie restriction, increase in vegetables, and sometimes even vitamin D supplementation. Um, Like Tad said, with the vegetables, uh, we get more antioxidants, uh, but we also get fiber. And fiber is very important for the gut bacteria. I know that's something that uh, they're looking into now as far as how it affects uh, some of the inflammation uh, that we see. Uh, But In addition to antioxidants, we get to provide a good, healthy gut bacteria. Uh, Vitamin D supplementation has also been seen. Um, It shows that most people are pretty low with vitamin D or or they're low in their vitamin D. Uh, So supplementation with that uh, has seemed to be something of topic. Uh, See how it helps. Uh, As far as for uh, the ketogenic diet, that's something that's coming along with not only epi- uh, seizure disorders, but also autism and even uh, MS as well. Uh, they're trying to see how the ketones that we produce when we're on the diet might somehow affect uh, the genetic makeup of their mitochondria or affect how the mitochondria works. Uh, they're trying to see if any defects in the mitochondria can lead to some of the demyelination that they see with some of the diseases. Uh, it's nothing uh, Detailed yet, but it's something that people are starting to look at uh, so we don't have any really good recommendations as far as for uh, diseases with inflammation as far as how it would work at this moment yeah there was um <clears throat> some questions came in specifically about the
0: ketogenic diet, and I think uh, um, at least from my reading that's uh probably one of the the most well described uh, specific diets specifically for seizure disorders. Could you, um, uh, Chris, kind of dive into a little bit more about what the ketogenic diet is and why they – you said a little bit about why it works, but to
2: give a a layperson view of of what that means. Definitely, definitely. So um, a true ketogenic diet, and when when I mean true, it's a a, a diet that's 90% fat. Um, Some of the diets out there that are said to be ketogenic are more of a modified Atkins, uh, which is just a lower-carb amount typically maybe 20 grams a day. Uh, But a true ketogenic diet is 90% fat. It's actually a a very uh, difficult diet to follow, and it needs to be monitored by uh, professionals um, for labs, uh, you know, in case they're becoming too acidotic, uh, making sure that their BOH, their beta-hydroxybutyrate is not too elevated. And that's how we measure ketones in the blood. Um, But basically, with the ketogenic diet, we pretty much try to mimic starvation mode. Um, we eliminate carbs. We provide enough protein just to meet the DRI. Uh, by eliminating the carbs, we switch our our fuel to fat. Uh, now, fat's going to produce ketones, which is another fuel source for our body. Our body prefers carbs, prefers carbs, but when it doesn't have carbs, it goes for ketones. Now, why are ketones important? Well, ketones are able to cross the blood-brain barrier, and the brain can use this for energy. Now, exactly how it works uh, for seizure control, that's what people are looking into. Um, A lot of the talks are are how it affects the mitochondria, or it can have some uh, effects on the genetic makeup of certain cells, as far as the ketones go. But with the diet, there also are some complications that we might see. One of them is typically constipation again it's a very high fat diet low fiber constipation will occur uh, and the other one that we look out for is uh, acidosis acidosis is when there's too many ketones in the blood and it drops your pH which is not good for your for your for your body uh, typically that occurs due to poor hydration uh, or sometimes kids just really take to the diet and become very ketotic very fast uh, so those are the two main co- complications that we see uh, again, with a higher, with a ketogenic diet, it's a high fat diet. So, other possi- possible complications are kidney stones. And for this reason, a true ketogenic diet really needs to be monitored by a professional. Uh, a modified Atkins is more doable at home. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those
0: things, you don't try this at home kind of thing. Uh, uh, yeah. And I think that kind of speaks to, like Tad was saying before, if you're going to be. Be attempting a diet that takes out either takes out whole food groups or focuses entirely on one, even if it's as you know. Of course, this ketogenic diet is kind of the end of the spectrum, the far end of the spectrum. Yeah. You have to be thinking about you know what you're not getting that your body needs and and supplementation. Um, and it kind of uh, uh, moves into some other questions that came in, kind of specifically about dietary supplementation. Uh, Chris, you mentioned vitamin D. Um, and there's a lot of uh, evidence out there about vitamin D and multiple sclerosis. And so uh, I'm wondering if you guys can speak a little bit to I guess one the role of vitamin D from a from a from a diet standpoint in particular and then is there any other evidence to any other specific supplements, vitamins, minerals, et cetera um, that have been shown or or even um, uh, might potentially have a, a beneficial effect on um, inflammatory disease processes. Uh, Tad, can you speak to that for a, a little bit? Sure. I, I
1: mean, I'll tell you, you're right. There's a lot of a lot of information about vitamin D and MS, and um, and consequently, I mean, vitamin D is generally managed medically by the physician whenever uh, we're in clinic. So I'm not often recommending vitamin D because I feel like the doctors are watching this, but um, Yeah, I mean, most people are producing their own vitamin D from sunlight or getting it from dietary uh, um, intake. But there's, uh, so aside from vitamin D, there's other things. You know, fish oil is, um, you know, a nice omega-3 fish oil has been uh, shown to decrease inflammation. It's anti-inflammatory. It's also, um, at least with MS, has been documented in reducing relapses. Alpha lipoic acid is another uh, supplement that I find I see a lot of um, patients with are taking, and that is uh, generally done for its immunomodulatory effect and anti-inflammatory properties. Um, honestly, if if your disease has has touched your bladder, my recommendation is that you take a cranberry extract daily or drink cranberry juice. You may not think of that as a supplement, but um, it is, and it can be beneficial in reducing urinary tract infections. Um, other popular supplements might be things like turmeric, um, ginkgo biloba. Um, there's been a study at least that showed that it has has somewhat helped with fatigue. Um, CoQ10 is a common um, supplement that people will take. It's actually a coenzyme that your body uses uh, in the production of energy, and it's been used. It's been shown to to help improve. Uh, fatigue and even uh, depression
0: hmm. uh, and Chris uh, would is there anything that you want to add to that list or uh, any other thoughts again from the pediatric standpoint um, I understanding that you know kids you know when you're talking about a, a three year old versus a ten year old that they have different needs in and of themselves in that in that time span um, from a diet standpoint, uh, can you speak to any specific needs of children in terms of diet supplementation?
2: Definitely. Uh, so, like Tad said, uh, in our clinic as well, uh, vitamin D is always uh, managed by the physician and they always provide the amount to give. Uh, but what we see is that for the most part, most kids are low, um, and it's typically kids who are overweight uh, or have extra weight on them. Now, why it's low, it's, uh, you know, could be you know, diet intake, or maybe the increased amount of adipose tissue might uh, cause more of it to be stored. Um, you know, it could be multifactorial. Uh, but you know, some of the fat or some of the benefits of vitamin D is, you know, of course, we think bone health uh, is the main one. Um, but you know, it also acts as a signal pathway for cell communication, uh, or at least initiates the start for that. And there are some uh, genomic effects. So basically, um, the vitamin D can. Uh, go into the cell, into the nucleus, and act as a hormone and potentially, uh, you know, uh, affect transcription or, or yet yeah, transcription of uh, of certain genes. Uh, now, how, how it affects MS in that sense, I, I don't know. That's as far as I, I go into it. Um, but for the most part, uh, that's something that we see with the kids, uh, not just with MS, but just in general. Uh, typically, when extra weight is seen, vitamin D is typically low, whether they're taking enough Dairy in or not. Um, As for the urinary tract infection, the only other thing I would like to add to that is a blueberry. It's another uh, one that can go hand in hand with cranberry. Um, I know that one helps uh, get rid of the bacteria, and the other one helps prevent the bacteria from adhering. So when taken together, I think it has a better effect. Yeah, and and I think
0: it's important um, because this comes up a lot uh, in our clinic. Like when we talked about cranberry supplementation, if you're going to drink cranberry juice, make sure that it's 100% cranberry juice and not cranberry cocktail uh, uh, that's filled with sugar. I think people will make that mistake sometimes accidentally. Um, so uh, um, there was a question that came in that I think was a, a little bit more specific that maybe you guys can speak to. Um, in the case that many times our patients, when they're... Uh, struck with, you know, a spinal cord injury, spinal cord attack of, of transverse myelitis, um, and then they move into a rehab unit, an inpatient kind of intensive rehab unit. Um, I mean, people think a lot about the PT aspect of it, um, but uh, not many people think about, you know, during the course of PT, is there any anything to think about from the diet standpoint um, uh, in terms of helping support the the physical activity that that they'll need to undergo through a therapeutic standpoint, well, you know, in a therapeutic way, and to think about uh, uh, the nutrition that's needed to help uh, move that along, is that is that something to think about, or does it make much of a difference? Tad,
1: I, I, listen, you're talking to a dietitian. I think it's always something to think about. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it should be kept in mind that physical therapy is going to increase your calorie needs, you're actually exercising for longer periods of time. So, you know, if you are already a healthy weight, know that you'll need to, you know, make up those calories or you'll likely lose weight. If you are, um, <clears throat> if you need to lose weight, I would say probably, you know, don't start, don't be, don't get hungry, but if you're um, burning more calories, that can be a good thing. And it can also help you um, in your process of achieving um, a healthy weight. And again, I'll mention water and hydration, you know, especially if your PT is going to have you sweating and, um, or even just have you more active than you typically are, um, stay hydrated. Those are definitely mm-hmm. things to be concerned about.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then also kind of moving a little bit from that, many times uh, our patients, if they're immobile and... Um, uh, we'll get you know pressure sores or some kind of wound, um, uh, uh, that might have trouble healing. And I'm wondering if you guys can speak a little bit to uh, uh, the benefits of diet uh, during the healing process, um, uh, of wounds and things of that nature.
2: Yes, so, um, I, I uh, I can start, Ted. Um, so the main things that we look for uh, we try to do when we see uh, ulcers or trying to uh, treat them is definitely adequate protein intake uh, making sure they get enough uh, protein to meet their dri or sometimes uh, extra Um, depending on their age group will bump it up a bit and also vitamin c and and fluids of course Um, depending on how much or how deep it is you know they could potentially lose more fluids uh, and also, vitamin C helps with uh, the repair, helps with collagen repair. So that's a, another supplement that we try to add to their to their diet. Mm-hmm.
1: And I would agree uh, with Chris on all of that. I mean, and then maybe even um, go a little further and discuss with the patient uh, the, the benefits of shifting your weight hourly to make sure that you're not putting too much pressure on one spot for any length of time.
0: Mm-hmm. Um yeah I think that's all very important. That that comes up definitely from time to time especially with the uh, the patients who are who are paralyzed um from the waist down or or something along those lines. Uh one thing I I'm uh glad that we are able to have both of you on from both the pediatric and the adult side because I think an important thing for us to keep in mind is kind of the lifespan dietary needs and you know what what children need are different from what, you know, adults need. And also, as we move into more of the geriatric phase of life, the later life, uh, as, as needs change. So, I think what might be helpful is if you guys could just speak a little bit uh, more to the specific needs. I think, you know, if you're a parent with a child, uh, especially one who has a neurologic disorder like, like the ones that we work with, uh, you're thinking so much about all the things that, that we can do to help them. But remembering, you know, the different needs of children through the course of their childhood, um, from a diet standpoint, and then moving into adulthood, uh, 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 could you guys speak to that a little bit, a little bit deeper as to the differences um, uh, between what one what one should be thinking about uh, in childhood versus adulthood?
2: Yes, uh, I can go ahead and start with childhood, um, and then we can go to adulthood. Uh, so with uh, with children, I mean the the main thing is, you know, at a young age, they're going to need more calories. Um, the amount of calories would also depend also on their activity uh, and whether they're going to hit growth spurts or not. Uh, now, the one thing that I always tell uh, parents is let the kid feel his hunger. If he's hungry, let him eat, offer healthy foods. Don't force them to eat. Uh, that can definitely... Uh, start some bad habits later on to, whether they need to finish everything when they're not really that hungry. Uh, Hydration is also important, Uh, whether it be a young kid or an adult. Hydration is one of the biggest issues we see here, uh, typically because kids will prefer to drink juice or soda uh, rather than water. Um, I always recommend parents to offer water. They can mix a little bit of flavoring to it if they want, but the main thing is to get that habit started. Now, I prefer water, but if we need to add some flavor to it, you know, I prefer that over a juice or a soda. Uh, at a, as a kid, I believe uh, that juice is really not needed. Uh, if they're wanting to drink an apple, apple juice, I prefer them to eat an apple. Uh, not only would they get the juice and the flavor from the apple, but they also get fiber and uh, more vitamins and minerals than just from the juice. Setting a proper uh, meal plan is also important. Um, letting them know that you know there are three meals, one or two snacks is fine, uh, but we definitely don't want them to graze all day on snacks. Uh, that's something I see that's pretty common with the kids. They'll walk in with a bag of chips or drink some soda while they're waiting or while they're just walking in, and I definitely recommend parents to stay away from that. Don't let them graze. Set meal times, set snack times, uh, avoid that habit. And then um, something that else is pretty common is uh, with most of my families too, uh, there's for some reason a a popularity with a bedtime meal, uh, typically a bowl of cereal or some pastries uh, right before bed. I always try to tell them uh, to avoid that. Um, Not only is that very high in calories, but also they're going to bed, they're going to store that weight, and uh, their weight's just going to keep going up. Uh, vitamins and minerals that I focus on typically are your calcium, vitamin D, phosphorus, uh, and zinc. Uh, zinc is important for growth as well, so that's probably the top ones I look for. I always recommend a multivitamin just in general because most kids aren't getting a balanced meal. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then Tad, can you speak to uh, kind of the transition from you know the growing, developing child into uh, more of the mature adult, and 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 you know, you spoke before about general general health and and diet, um, but kind of through the adult lifespan, especially as I think as we move into the, the geriatric phase of life, um, how diet dietary needs change, or especially differences between men and women, and things of that nature. Sure. So the hope
1: is that by the time you've reached adulthood,
0: Chris has taught you really good habits,
2: good dietary <laughs>
1: habits, um, and so if, you know, as a, a a typical adult, if you're eating a good balanced and varied diet, like I discussed earlier, staying hydrated, getting some regular exercise, then you're probably fine um though, if you've chosen a diet that that cuts out entire food groups, if you have a certain disdain for a certain type of food and just won't eat it, then you may also need a multivitamin, and that's fine. you can just start that um, but really, where we start to see the the challenges are if you've if you move into sort of older age. Without those habits, then it may be more difficult to change the habits. But but even worse, it's it's going to be hard to lose weight. So if you go into to um, older age with uh, extra weight, it's going to be harder to get that off than it used to be. For a couple of reasons: one, you just need fewer calories. Your body, as you get older, loses muscle mass. Like Chris said earlier, you know, muscle mass will have a higher uh, um, calorie requirement than other tissue and so as you lose that mass, then you now need fewer calories. Well if you need fewer calories, you have to eat less than you need in order to lose weight. So at some point you just it just becomes really difficult to lose that weight. Add to that that movement gets more difficult as we get older um and more infirm then uh it's even harder than to get regular exercise. So those things just make it all the more important to develop, you know, good healthy nutritional habits early in life and take them with you. Uh, all the way through, regarding men and women um, uh, pre menopause women will need more iron post menopause not so much <clears throat> so uh know too that as you add things like iron supplementation to your diet, you may experience constipation with that, which is another nutritional uh concern uh, one that you would would likely want to work on with your dietitian
0: mm-hmm. um you guys talk about you know I guess uh, we we here in Dallas you guys are work with us and, and are great and we have access to you guys as dietitians in our in our medical center here but I think there are a lot of patients out there who have these disorders TM and NMO and aDM are in places where there might not be this kind of a uh, professional uh, dietitian available uh, kind of at the fingertips of the of their physicians, their providers or even for for the patient. Um, uh, do you have any uh, resources that that uh, you would recommend to people who might not have access to a professional dietitian to help kind of plan and 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 uh, uh, educate about educate them about diet?
1: Sure. Um, I would say that use the, uh, the association websites. They have a lot of good information, you know, like, for instance, um, uh, MDA's website, Muscular Dystrophy Association. They've got some good resources, as does the National MS Society, um, myelitis.org. A lot of these uh, disease specific associations and societies will have information that may be difficult to find because their population is is looking for it, um, eatright.org is a great place to go for, for general diet information. Um, and then oftentimes, Sam, what I see is a lot of people who who maybe they know what to do, but don't really know how to cook or how to prepare mm-hmm. food. You know, I, I spend a lot of time sending people to uh, to websites where they can find recipes and snack ideas that are healthy, easy to do, um, And and I'll tell you, for fun, I tell people to take a cooking class. You know, that's not a resource about this in particular but if you don't know how to cook take a cooking class it's fun and there is no way to eat super healthy and eat out you need to be
0: eating at home and preparing your own foods from from scratch Mhm. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind here it's you know I think you know, it's the 21st century and we have information on our fingertips and we can know, you know, the most cutting edge information about what's a proper diet and and how to how to do all of this but if you don't know how to cook or don't have those resources, then, then it doesn't help very much. Uh, right. So I think that's something that gets uh, neglected a lot of the times in these kinds of conversations about about diet. And, and I think we as, as people tend to err on the side of, well, the dietitian will tell me what to eat or they'll tell me what to do. And there's a certain um, uh, uh, we all as individuals, not even not. Solely as individuals with diseases, but just as healthy as as people in general who are you know living day to day have to take some ownership in in making our food and finding the food that that we need to eat and being conscious of it um, and uh, and starting young. Uh, I think uh, it's like Chris was saying, getting those habits set early will really define. Uh, the way that that human, as an adult, will will live their life, and it's a lot harder to change habits. The the older you get, the more ingrained that they are. Um, so uh, uh, I think that that's that's very important to hit on. Uh, sure, and I, I would I would even say that you know if in in discussing you know cooking your own foods,
1: I hear sometimes you know that you know my my dominant hand is spastic, and I'm not able to to uh, chop or prepare or or whatever you know the task may be. Look into adaptive devices. You know there are cutting boards that will hold your vegetable for you while you cut it. You know there are knives that you don't have to to be so accurate with they, they're rocker knives and go back and forth. And there's so there's all kinds of utensils and adaptive devices available. You know if you know to look for them, that might make your ability to cook even better or easier.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And if I could add to that also uh keeping it simple at first uh for those that are just gonna start out you know don't try to do too much at once uh definitely make small simple uh small steps and simple goals, whether it be just as simple as starting to add more vegetables to your to your meal you know have to plate vegetables uh whatever vegetable you would like uh will be will be a step in the right direction uh sometimes I feel like people try to do too much at once and that's when they uh get burned out especially when they're starting out
0: mm-hmm yeah, I uh, just from my own my own experience, I'm certainly not a cook. Uh, I but when I do cook, it is, does have to be very simple. And one of my favorite meals that I make myself is just a, a, a salmon fillet and some chopped up uh, Brussels sprouts. I just salt and pepper it all and throw it in the oven for about 10 minutes, and then I have a meal. And it's just it's just the time when I feel the most healthy when I can do something like that. But it's very simple. And in my experience, that's very helpful to me. Um, So I think that's an important point, Chris, especially uh, starting out is to just think of what something simple and easy uh, and healthy, because it doesn't have to be complicated to be healthy. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, we're moving into uh, the later part of the hour. I wanted to um, uh, kind of... Throw it back at you guys a little bit as we as we slow down here uh, to kind of give us your basic uh, takeaways uh, from the talk today. Um, uh, the basic overview of, of you know what are the main points of someone who's living with uh, TM or NMO or other uh, rare inflammatory diseases, neurological diseases um, about diet and nutrition. Uh, how they can incorporate it into their lives, what are things to think about um, in terms of their diet, uh, both from the pediatric and the adult standpoint, just some takeaway points for the hour. Um, Tad, would you like to start? Sure.
1: So, I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is achieve and maintain a healthy weight. So if you're overweight, get with someone, work, join a, Weight Watchers is a great program to help with that. If you don't, if you can't get to a dietitian, if you, um, aren't able to to uh, see a professional weight watchers is great but achieve and maintain a healthy weight and stay hydrated drink plenty of water if you're if you've got a bladder concern urgency or retention or any sort of problems with your bladder what we have to do is find the way around that we've got to figure out how do we still get enough water into you so that you stay hydrated and stay healthy and still accommodate sort of the special situation that the, that the uh, Ladder problems may create. As you're working to get to your healthy weight, do so with a broad and varied diet. Eat a lot of colors, eat a lot of textures, try different things. I had a lady tell me the other day, I don't like asparagus, but I've never had it. And so, (laughs) how do you know you don't (laughs) like asparagus? So, Mike, you know, it's very easy to sort of fall into the things we've always done because that's what we like. But Challenge your beliefs around food, you know maybe you decided you didn 't like asparagus when you were eleven, but you 're forty five now. Try it again, you know try it, try it with something on it, a little parmesan cheese or something that changes the flavor for you, something to get excited about, but try uh, to eat a lot of different fruits and vegetables, and then um, as far as grains go, make make sure you 're getting whole grains. maybe make it your habit to have whole grain bread at home and whole grain cereals and Whole grain pastas and you don't do white breads at home maybe that's or white grains maybe that's the rule if you just really love them you can have them when you go out to eat but when you eat at home you know try to make them uh, all whole grains whatever gets that that change implemented for you um, and then finally i would say that most of us should be incorporating pre and probiotics into our diet chris spoke earlier about the benefits of fiber with your gut biome <clears throat> i would say that you know if you if you Uh, don't eat yogurt, or if you you do eat yogurt, but you don't eat it regularly, try eating it regularly. That's beneficial to your gut. Um, Increased fiber is as well. And if you've never taken and and you're interested, you should maybe try a probiotic. I find those in clinic at least to be quite useful for people who have um,
0: concerns with their bowels. Thanks, Tad. And Chris, uh, what are your uh, final thoughts?
2: Uh, Same along with Tad, uh, uh, pretty much everything we said was spot on. Um, you know, I would also focus on portion control, um, making sure that, you know, the biggest portion of our plate is in our starches. Um, you know, uh, like Tad said, definitely go for whole wheat, but you still don't want to make the biggest part of your plate nothing but pasta or nothing but potatoes. Uh, the biggest portion always wants to be, you always want to make it the vegetables uh, and keep them colorful. Um and hydration, I will stress that again, too. Hydration is very important. Uh, a lot of us take it uh, for granted. Uh, you know, an easy trick to get a little bit more water in and work on our portions is always drink a cup of water before your meal, during your meal, and after your meal.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and a big takeaway from me from all of these com- today and from other conversations that I've had about nutrition is, you know, they're Especially when it comes to these kinds of disorders, it's not necessarily one size fits all There's not eat this, don 't eat this uh kind of kind of answer that we all wish that there were sometimes and there's not a lot of studies and scientific data out there about these particular disorders and what to do. There's a lot of new research going into it, and hopefully um, that will be uh, there will be uh, some more clear answers in the future. but right now, I think it's very important that the takeaway be the 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 broad you know healthy eating healthy lifestyles hydration um uh fruits vegetables whole grains lean meats varied diet uh is important for for everybody um and no different for for people with uh, uh these kind of inflammatory neurologic disorders and if if you have a diet and it works for you, like you said earlier, Tad, it makes you feel better um, and, it's, and it's sustainable, then that's great, go for it. Um, um, but uh, remember that it might not, that same thing might not work for the neighbor next door. Uh, I think that's very important for us to remember. Um, so uh, I wanna thank you guys, uh, Tad and Chris, a lot for your time and your energies today, uh, uh, your expertise for, uh, 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 to the community, I want to thank uh, every all of the listeners, everybody who was there um, to to hear this, uh, and all of your questions, and to the TMA for this uh, this platform uh, to educate people. So hope everybody has a great week. Thanks again, Tad and Chris. Thank you. Thank you.